the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. And always delighted to have you join us here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, here in Orlando. Uh, Alan Dempsey does our engineering uh, every week, does it well. And uh, Andrew Herdliska produces the show for us. And uh, Jim Henry is with us in the first half hour. Brother Jim, Pastor Jim Henry, carries many names. Currently the senior pastor of downtown Baptist Church in Orlando. But we want to talk about his new book, Son of a Gun, Where a Journey of Faith Can Lead. Jim, great to catch up with you. And how are you doing? Fine, Pat. Always good to talk to you. Thanks for the time with you today. What does that t- <clears throat> What does that title mean, Jim? Uh, well, you know the expression "son of a gun." Everybody knows that, especially if you're in the South. But my grandmother was a gun with an extra N on it, G U N N. That's a Scottish clan, and so there's been a whole lot written about my grandmother gun. And so I just, when I was thinking about a title. I kept thinking this, that, and the other, and I ran this idea through two or three people, and they all said, hey, we like that. So that's where I came up with the title, Son of a Gun. Jim, as I read the book, it seemed like you remembered every detail of your life. Uh, How did that happen? Did you keep notes through all your life, or did you just recall everything? Pat, that's a really interesting thing. You know, I majored in history. I've always loved history. And early in my ministry, probably in the late 60s, I began to make little notes about where events were happening at the church or in our family and in our life, and then it became kind of a habit. So for I've had nearly 50, 55 years of making notes, and it got more extensive as time went by and a little bit more elaborate, and so I began to detail things that I wanted to remember, ways people I saw, events I experienced, things happening nationally, internationally, in our family, in our church. And so when I got ready to write, I had this big, you know, books and books and books of journals that I could go back to to refer to. And so that really helped me. I didn't realize at the time it was going to be this way, but it's turned out to be a really wonderful thing that God led me to do. Jim, how did you become a pastor? Uh, well, I, I, it was of God's doing. You know, the call to be a pastor, I think, is a calling that comes from God. And um, early on in my life, after I became a Christian at an early age, uh, I love being in the church. I love serving the Lord. I love being around God's people. And I just, early on, I just had a sense down in my heart that I might be a pastor someday, a preacher, because I love my pastors. I grew up in the church. I had pastors that I loved and men that I respected, and I heard some great preaching. So that was kind of there. But then nobody in my family, immediate family, had been in the ministry, though some of my book will relate. Some of my ancestors were preachers, Methodist pastors. But uh, I just had this in the back of my mind. I kept putting it out. Finished college. I started teaching school. I thought about politics because I was always interested in politics. And then this, this, this gnawing just kept on in my heart. So I would see my pastor down in Panama City, and I talked to Dr. Avery, and I said, Dr. Avery, I, I have this sense of God's call in my life and ministry, but I don't want to miss this. I don't want to do it just to be doing it. I want to know that it's come from God. And he said something. I, I don't remember all the interview, but I do remember this. He said, the devil never put it on a man's heart to tell people about Jesus. And that just stuck in my mind. So I kept praying. And one night, I was a school teacher then. I got on my knees down in Panama City. And I said, Lord, I believe you're calling me in ministry. And uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to go down to First Baptist Church of Panama City and, and tell the church and ask them to pray for me. And so I made that surrender on my, on my knees by myself in a, in, a, in a room in Panama City. I uh, 
I said, Lord, I just I want to do my best, the best that I can, and I don't want to hurt your kingdom in any way, and help me to give you my best. It just that was basically my prayer. So I went forward on that Sunday morning at First Baptist in Panama City. Jeanette and I uh, at that time were really serious about each other, but uh, I wanted her to go with me as a, my wife. But I knew that she had to feel some call to ministry like I did because I feel like a wife has to have a sense of call also. So we back in those days, you didn't have email or anything. You had long-distance calls, kind of expensive. Mm. So I waited that night to call her and tell her, though I had talked to her earlier, I said, Honey, I love you, but you're second in my life because Christ is first. Uh, and so I said, i got to tell you what happened this last night and this morning i told her and she said jim i want you to know that the georgetown baptist church in georgetown kentucky this morning i went forward Mm. and i said to the lord lord i love you and i'll follow you wherever you lead me with or without jim henry (laughs) (laughs) so and when i told it just seemed like the lord said that's it for both of us and from then on we got married and now we're heading on 58 years of marriage uh, Jim, tell me uh, about your marriage. Well, I'm a, I've been so blessed to, to have such a godly wife. Uh, Jeanette and I uh, met at Georgetown College. Uh, she was from southern Kentucky. Uh, I was two years ahead of her in college, and I, she caught my eye walking across the campus. I said, that's a beautiful girl. And she was an ugly old boy. And I said, I need to rescue that girl from that guy. <laughs> so... Uh, I asked her out, and she later told me, she told her roommate, she said, I'm going to marry that guy someday. Mm. If I'd have known that, I probably would have been scared. But uh, we got married uh, in 1959 and uh, began our journey together. I finished my school year teaching. I went to seminary, and uh, we had, God blessed us with three children. Uh, one was born in New Orleans, our oldest, Kitty. Our second was born in Memphis, Betsy. And a third was born at Baptist Hospital, and third was born at Baptist Hospital in Nashville, Jimmy. And she said, Jim, we're not going to move to any town that has a Baptist Hospital. I'm afraid we'll have another baby. <laughs> so, so we had our three children, and uh, we've, we've basically, you know, we did a little fussing before we got married back and forth. I was immature in a lot of ways. She put up with that stuff, and I began to grow up in Christ and, and, and my responsibilities as a man and a husband. And we've really had not any big serious problems in our whole marriage. Uh, we've been so blessed, and kids have brought us great joy, and five grandsons, and one great grandson, and one great granddaughter now. Oh boy! So we're having time of our life. We're so blessed. And Jeanette has been the perfect pastor's wife. Uh, she 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 knew where to stand. She knew where to help me. She made me look good. She was there for me. Uh, when I said, I've oh, got to keep this quiet, she kept it quiet. She didn't take sides on anything in the church. She, she just knew how to be there for people. She was a great Bible teacher in her own right, uh, a good public speaker. And uh, I, God couldn't have matched me up with a greater lady than my wife, Jeanette. Jim, how did you end up at First Baptist Church Orlando? Pat, that was uh, one of those divine things that I, I've told this in a lot of places in I want to tell you how it happened. In 1972, I was speaking in a place called Lake Hill, not far from here. I was in Nashville at the time. And um, and the guy was taking us out to Lake Hill. He was on I-4, and he's pointing out different things about Orlando. And he said, over there is First Baptist Church, Orlando. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be the pastor there someday. <laughs> just kind of a side, you know, you just talk out of the side of your mouth. I didn't even know what I was thinking. I just said it. But I remember I said it. Years go by, and... Um, and I'm praying because First Baptist Church New Orleans had asked me to come as their pastor. And I went to seminary in New Orleans. We love New Orleans. Uh, I thought, boy, what a great opportunity to pastor uh, students uh, in New Orleans. And I, I just couldn't get the green light to go. And I was praying about it, and the committee kept pushing me a little bit. And one morning I was praying, and just just nearly as clearly as I'm talking with you, I just got the impression, you're not to go to New Orleans. You're going, you're going to go to Florida or something like that. It just kind of came through my mind. So I called the people in New Orleans and said, I can't come. God's not in it. Mm. So later that day, the mail comes. I open the, and I open my letter, and this is a couple from our church in Nashville vacationing in Orlando, had read the Orlando paper, 
And the front page of it had uh, First Baptist Church pastor uh, Henry Allen Parker retires. And they said, you may know this man. We just want to send you this article about him retiring at First Baptist Church Orlando. So I read the article. It was very interesting to me about that. But then I, get, I made a mental note of it, but, and I remember kind of what I've been praying, and then I just kept going. So months go by. I'm preaching at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, encampment up at Black Mountain. Hold your thoughts, Jim. we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Jim Henry is with us talking about his book, Son of a Gun. <clears throat> this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hear it here. Keep the faith Saturday night at midnight. If only forgetting your past was as simple as tearing up a list. Well, maybe it could be. Matthew West shares next on Keep the Faith. Bible study and today's contemporary Christian music come together so you can grow a stronger heart for God. We've got it for you here. Every Saturday night at midnight, Keep the Faith. 94.9 FM, AM 950, The Word. I want you as you are, not as you are to This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. How would you describe your health care? If you're like most Americans these days, the word affordable isn't top of mind. Well, here's some good news. There's actually a trusted health care option that is affordable. It's called MediShare. Unlike insurance, MediShare is Christian health care sharing, a community of more than 200,000 believers across America who share each other's medical expenses. It's about half the cost of insurance, and it's fully acceptable under the law. And here's the best part. Because MediShare is based on biblical principles, you never pay for things that go against your beliefs. MediShare is affordable health care for Christians. Learn how thousands of Christians can help you save on your health care. For your free information guide, call 844-41-BIBLE. Not available in Montana. MediShare, affordable biblical health care. Call 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-BIBLE. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Uh, Pastor Jim Henry is our guest. His new book is out. It's a great read, Son of a Gun, Where a Journey of Faith Can Lead. Uh, Jim, so now you're preaching or you're speaking to the FCA. Uh, Continue that story, please. Usually that week I went to the Southern Baptist Convention, but I had this impression I need to preach up there. Thousand young people, coaches, and athletes, and I love sports. And so I was preaching there. Well, it happened that some young people from First Baptist Church and from Boone High School were out, were up there for the FCA week. They came home and told the search team, Have y'all checked out a guy named Jim Henry in Orlando, Florida? Well, they didn't know me from Adam, apparently. They hadn't. So at their urging, they got in touch with me. Long story short, one thing led to another, and by August, I came to Orlando View of a call at First Baptist Church, Orlando. So that's how the Lord connected all the dots to get me to First Baptist Church, Orlando. And the building was downtown at that time, Jim. What was that like? <clears throat> and how did the move out to that big property take place? Uh, well, it was downtown, and uh, and we, God just... <sighs> All I can say, Pat, is the Holy Spirit and the Lord just worked in a powerful way. It was not me. I just I got in on His work, and we began to grow. And Dr. Parker had left a good foundation, and God had a great core of people there. It began to grow. We got into three morning services and uh, had to have two afternoon or evening services. Mm. We did not have any parking places. We owned, I think, 50. We tried to buy property and stay downtown and build up around us we could not get enough to do that so i formed a dream team to look at the possibility of where we could relocate if we had to and through a series again of divine intervention 
we found this 156 acres uh, out in southwest Orlando. Uh, we were going by 25 acres up towards Maitland on the interstate, but God shut the door on that, opened the door for the 156. And so our church, again, this was a, it was a big thing for us to relocate. It was kind of scary. Uh, so we we asked the church, I said, vote yes to do it, no, I don't want to move, or I'll go either way the church votes. I had prayed. I said, Lord, give us two-thirds. If we get 66%, we're going. And uh, the vote was about 66 and two-thirds percent voted to go, or I'll go with the church vote. <clears throat> so by that just, you talk about hanging by the Chad vote, <laughs> that was that close. But that, we decided to relocate, and so the people got behind it, and we saw God raise the money. We saw the people get behind it. One thing after another, I could take the rest of this day on this program telling you how God provided the resources, the enthusiasm, the people, the whole thing. And we moved in 1983, we broke ground. 1985, we moved out to that beautiful location. How did the First Academy come about? Uh, First Academy, uh, when I first went to Orlando, there was a man named Tom Gurney. He was a prominent lawyer here in town and a member of First Baptist. He asked me to go to lunch with him one day. So he sat down and he said, now, Pastor, he said, I know you're a public school man. And I basically had gone to public schools, except when I went to college. Georgetown was a Baptist college in Kentucky. He says, but if we, he said, I feel like the public schools are beginning to drift. And he said, the day may come where we'll need more Christian institutions. And he says, if you ever think about it or you put it on, God puts it on your heart, I'll put some seed money into the start of a Christian school as long as we keep it under the umbrella of the church. I don't want it to become a separate entity. I want it to be under the umbrella of the church. So I said, okay, Mr. Tom, we'll do that. We'll pray about it. I had no thought about it. I love public schools. I love the whole thing around it. I was product of that. But people began to come to me saying, there's some things happening in school that is giving us trouble with our what we're hearing. And so uh, I said, okay, when the dream team was working about what we was going to put on the, that new acreage, I said, let's put the possibility of having enough space out there, and they did, to have a Christian school if we ever need one. So when we relocated with that acreage, that we had the space. A year or two later went by, and people kept coming to me. They said, are we going to do a school? So we formed a team. They began to look at the possibility. And they said, yep, we want, we want to start a Christian school, K-5. to mm. So we opened K-5 to with about 200, and I'm trying to remember, like, say, 250 students. I remember meeting with the first faculty and the headmaster, and I said, if we do this right, we do it to God's glory, I said there'll be some one day when people will be lined up to get in the school because we're going to have great Christian education. We're going to be unapologetic Christian we're going to have great athletics, we're going to have great education, and we're going to have a great spiritual foundation for the kids that come there. And God blessed it. We opened, I believe, in 1989. Uh, we started, and, and now today we have a wonderful school out there. Uh, Jim Henry is our guest, Pastor Jim Henry. Uh, the name of his book is Son of a Gun. Jim, how did you know it was time for you to... Uh, uh, re- retire uh, from First Baptist as the pastor? Well, Pat, I I wanted to do that right. Uh, I, I was there, and for, you know, I knew the longer you had a place, the more the passing, the baton becomes important. And I'd seen some uh, tragic failures, and I didn't want that to happen. I love that church and the people so much. I wanted it to go do well and to do better even after I left. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, I read a lot. I talked to some guys who'd been in the process before, and I decided uh, that I said, "Lord," I, I talked to a man. I said, "How do you know when it's time?" He said, "There'll be a nudge in your spirit mm. that it's time." And so, um, when I hit sixty, there's something about sixty. I don't know what it is, but there's something about being sixty that begin to, you begin to think about some things in different ways. And so, as I talked to Jeanette, I said, "Honey, what we need to be thinking ahead." about, you know, when the time comes to move on. Uh, I called I, I, seven godly men to my house one night. I said, guys, this is between me and you and the Lord. No pillow talk. 
uh, here's the plan I have about passing the baton. I said, I don't know when I pull the trigger, but here's what I like to do. And I laid out a scenario in which uh, I would bring somebody along. I'd appoint a, a team to look for a man, bring somebody alongside me for a period of time, not longer than two years, less if possible. And then I would gradually back off the scene, and he would become the senior pastor. They said, I said, let me know in a week. You say yes or no, or don't, or I do like the plan. Every one of them said, love the plan. And so I said, well, just sit on and pray. So some years went by after that. And then there came time, uh, as I looked ahead, I knew we were going to have to start more services, build more buildings, or do some other things. And I said, I don't know if I have the energy uh, to do this, because I knew if I stayed longer, I'd, it'd be at least three to five more years I'd need to stay. But this time, I'm heading for, I'm 67. So I said, no, let's, let's, let's pull the trigger. So I went to the church on a Sunday morning and announced the plan that I basically shared with the men. I got through the people applauded. I got letters, emails, people saying, Pastor, thank you for letting us know what you're doing. The business people especially appreciated it. So I appointed a team to go look for, for God's man to come alongside and then become the senior pastor. Uh, they did. I said, be unanimous. They were. And they called Pastor David Youth, who's doing an absolutely splendid job. So that's how that came about. David came, and again, in God's providence, the week he came in view of a call, we found out Jeanette had cancer. Mm. He came in June, and uh, when he came, Jeanette had her surgery in June. I was able to stay with her while he began to preach, and people began to get familiarized with him. I could stay with Jeanette and help her get well. And again, I could see the hand of God, the timing, his sovereignty, his goodness, and the church got under David's voice and care. And so when I came back to work with David, it was less than a year later. It was time for me to move on and David to take it. So that's how God worked. Another way I could see his hand in my life. Jim, what has it been like for you uh, preaching at Downtown Baptist Church uh, after all these years? Well, it was it was kind of surreal. I never thought I'd end up preaching back downtown. Uh, and they were having some struggles. Uh, the church had gradually lost membership, and uh, so they called and asked if I would pray about it. They called one time, and I turned them down, uh, even talking about it. I called back and said, well, would you please consider it? So I met with some of their leadership people and uh, and prayed with them. I said, well, if you let me preach and be the leader and prepare the way for the next guy, uh, man, to be your pastor, I can do that. But Jeanette, by this time, had been dead. Uh, well, we found out she had uh, memory loss, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. And, uh, and so with that in the background and with me having to usually travel on the weekends a lot to preach, I, uh, hello? I'm here, Jim. Okay. Uh, I said, yes, I'll do it. And so I took their invitation, the idea of preparing a way for them to get ready for the next man, and that's what we're doing. And again, in God's providence, it's allowed me to stay with Jeanette. She's able still to go to Sunday school and church with me, and uh, I don't have to travel on the weekends. And God's blessing the church, and we're having a great time, and we're looking for the next man to come alongside and that church is planted in a beautiful area. Downtown's booming. And I think if I was 20 years younger, I told them, I said, call me. I'd love to jump into the opportunity that's for a downtown church now. Jim, what do you want people to take from your book? Uh, the, the awesome goodness and faithfulness of God. I, when I wrote the book, some guys, I, I talked to some guys who had written their, uh, their autobiography. And they said, Jim, if nobody else gets a blessing out of it, you will because you'll see the hand of God. And that's exactly what's happening. I went back over my notes and over mm. my life. I could see God's goodness and grace. And there's a verse of Scripture that I put in the book that just kept coming back to me. It's when David realized what God had done in his life. He said, Who am I? And who's my Father's house that you've put me in this place? And that's the way I feel. I want people to go away seeing the grace of God, the love of God, the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the leadership of the Lord, 
and how he loves us so much. He goes before us and does things for us and provides for us in our personal life, in the church life, in our business life, in our family life. And I can see his hand so many times, and some of those I've shared with you in this interview today, but there's so many more. And in the book, I think people will see, again, God's hand. And that's the way it is for everybody. I'm not, I'm not special in that way. That's God's grace for everybody. I'm just wanting to sit down and write about it. So I hope they go away with saying, what an awesome God we have and what a wonderful Savior is Jesus Christ. Jim, what is your counsel to young pastors? Well, uh, I, when I was looking at uh, redeploying, I didn't want to use the word retirement because it's not in the Bible, as you know. And uh, I, so I said, Lord, there's two things I'd like to do, and that's encourage young pastors and encourage churches. And so this has been, I'm in my 11th year now since I left uh, First Baptist, and God's given me that privilege. And so when I talk to young pastors, uh, I, I ask an older pastor when I was in my late 20s, a man that I deeply uh, respected. He came, he was retired from Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. And I said, Dr. Lee, what counsel would you give a young preacher? And he said, just this quick, he said, stay on your knees, stay in the book, close to your people. Mm. And uh, I've told that little one-sentence thing that he gave me, which is such wise counsel, preach the Word of God, believe the Word of God, try to live the Word of God, pray. Uh, prayer is the thing that undergirds everything we do and keeps us in touch with what God's doing in our life and others. And then love the people, because the people, they are God's sheep, and we're responsible for loving them and shepherding them. And so that's what counsel I give to those guys, and, and, and it's, it's kind of simplistic in a way, but I found out that it, it works. That's the way it is. So Stay on your knees, <clears throat> stay in the book, stay, stay close to your people. Right, right. And, you, and you, know, you can add a lot of addendums to those things about dis- discipline, reading, uh, visiting, uh, all those kind of things. Uh, but those, those three things, they're the basics. And if guys do that, uh, they're going to, I think, God will help them. Because it's a struggle today. You know, we lose hundreds of pastors every month who leave the ministry. A lot of them because of burnout, sometimes because of power struggles, etc. Uh, so I, that that helps you stay in there to know that God saved you, God called you, and sent you on a mission enables you, I think, with those three factors in place to sustain some of the struggles that come with being in the pastorate. And it is a struggle. Peter Drucker said the three hardest jobs in America today, one, President of the United States, two, being a college president, third, being a pastor of a local church. Jim Henry has been our guest <clears throat> the name of the book, Son of a Gun. We've got more after this <clears throat> right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Saturday night at midnight. If only forgetting your past was as simple as tearing up a list. Well, maybe it could be. Matthew West shares next on Keep the Faith. Bible study and today's contemporary Christian music come together so you can grow a stronger heart for God. We've got it for you here. Every Saturday night at midnight. Keep the faith. 94.9 FM, AM 950, The Word. I want you as you are, not as you ought to be. Napa know how. A Napa guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. It's not perfect, but it's perfect for him. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Honey, I'm home. Rose, what are you doing in my living room? Hi, Sophia. Come join the party. Take your shoes off. Your new carpet feels great. I know. Flooring Master Apopka did it. But what are you and your perfectly manicured toes doing in it? Well, Sophia, I have flooring envy. Your floors look so great that I just had to have my party here. Okay, but next time, just have Flooring Master Apopka redo your floor so you'll be the envy of the neighborhood. Do like Rose did and go to Flooring Master Apopka. 
Alaska. Deal directly with the owners, Sammy and his wife, Elsie. No need to go to those impersonal big box stores or flooring chains. Plus, they use materials made in the USA and Europe. Call Sammy and Elsie for your easiest floor remodel experience. Call them at 407-814-3696. Or just stop by their showroom on 436 at Semeron Commerce Place in Apopka. Or go to FlooringMaster.com. Flooring Master Apopka Cured Roses Flooring Envy. Just think what they'll do for you. Sophia, grab the dip. We're just getting started. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Pastor Jim Henry, our guest in that first half hour, talking about his book, Son of a Gun. Jonathan Morrow joins us from his home in Georgia. His book, his book, and it's a revised edition, uh, Welcome to College, and uh, I'm so glad, Jonathan, you can join me, and uh, welcome. How are you doing? Doing great, Pat. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, tell me about this book you've put together. What's it about? Yeah, I wrote Welcome to College to help students really learn to own their faith and understand what they believe, why they believe it, how to live it out as they transition from those critical high school years into their college experience and beyond, because many students um, are just simply not prepared for the intellectual, spiritual, or moral challenges and opportunities that they'll face in college. So my heart was to provide them a resource and welcome to college that really sets them up for success. Uh, How big a problem is it for Christian kids when they uh, arrive on a campus? It's really significant um, because the, t- the statistics tell us that about half of all students who grow up in a Christian environment or in a church will disengage from their Christian faith during the college years. And that should just be very sobering to us that literally one out of two students who grows up in the church check out from their faith. And it doesn't have to be that way. And so we need to look at carefully what we're doing, how we're equipping and training our young people in our in our churches and our homes and things like that, because the culture they're going into is is really causing them to conform their faith to really squash them into um, a worldview or a way of life that's contrary uh, to God's word and, and and a Christian vision of life and following Jesus. And so, it's a significant issue that we really need to engage well. So, how do you get kids ready to hold up at college? What's what's this? What's the trick here? Yeah, that's a great question. There's lots of different things going on. Um, obviously, we're praying for our students. They've ultimately got to make the, the choices, but what we can do is we can prepare them with key things. And one of the most important things during the college years is the relationships that they surround themselves with. Uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty says, He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. And so what we have to do, especially during the college years, is help our young people find peers and friends that hold that same view of following Jesus and taking their Christian faith seriously so that that strong pull doesn't pull them away and, honestly, their worldview doesn't become like the the people who aren't following Jesus that they spend their time with and that are around at their core. It doesn't mean we don't reach out and have friends who aren't believers, not that at all, but our core friendships, especially during the college years, have to be um, serious ones that, that people are trying to take their faith seriously. And along with that, um, we have to help students not just know the right answers, because most of them, what's happening is a, a you know college-level questions are puncturing a Sunday school-level faith. And so they're studying calculus and physics and all these other things, but their knowledge of the Bible and the Christian worldview is still at the, like the coloring page level of a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or a you know, Daniel in a lion's den, or a coat of many colors, or Father Abraham, or something like that. So they haven't grown up with it, so many just simply discard it as irrelevant. So we need to help them understand what they believe about Christianity, and then give them reasons for faith, and help them understand why they believe as well. So Jonathan, would you rather have your kid go to Biola or UCLA? That's a great question. Wheaton College? or Northwestern? Yeah, it depends on the student, to be honest. Um, A couple of those things are, because every student's going to be different. And in the back of Welcome to College, I actually kind of talk about pros and cons of going to a Christian, a distinctly Christian college versus 
um, a straight state school or a secular college. And so the benefits of going to a Christian college, especially the kinds of ones you mentioned, excellent schools like Biola or Wheaton, is that there's a strong, vibrant Christian community there that if the student chooses to, they can engage with. And there's an added layer of Christian formation and worldview training and mentoring that can happen there in some ways that can't at a secular campus. The danger, though, is that a student can go and they can fit in and they can just kind of go ho-hum about their faith, and it doesn't really, they're not really challenged. And so they can go to an environment, or they're not really called to engage um, that sphere of influence in their, in their understanding of their, what they want to train for or something else. Now, if they go to a UCLA, for example, it's not popular to be a Christian <laughs> at all. And so that will cost you something. And there's a pressure that comes with that and, a, and kind of a push on, on, the, on your spiritual muscles, so to speak, that forces you to grow stronger, to say, hey, do I really believe this? Is this Christianity thing like a fairy tale for grown-ups, or is this actually really real? Is there good evidence that God exists, that Jesus rose from the dead, things like that? So it's not a one-size-fits-all answer to should your son or daughter go to a Christian college or a, um, or a secular university. Um, that's one, one of the reasons that I, I, get, I get to work with Impact 360. We, do have, we, have, we have a college uh, Christian gap year for nine months where we equip high school graduates to send them on into the next season of life here in Pine Mountain, Georgia. So that's a lot of fun as well. Uh, Jonathan, <clears throat> what about <clears throat> excuse me, the para-church organizations, Campus Crusade, FCA, et cetera, on the campus of uh, – Secular universities, uh, how, how important are those? How valuable are they? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, 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 of organizations like Crew and InterVarsity and, and Navigators, F, FCA, RUF, things like that. And here's, here's why. Students must get plugged in early. Um, I call it the six weeks rule. Basically, once you hit campus, in most situations, people, especially if you're a college freshman, you tend to find your people, those people that you're going to run around with, and everything's kind of still up in the air. After that six weeks, it's a lot harder to get connected. And if a student feels isolated, especially from uh, Christian friends and a vision of getting plugged into a Bible study and serving and sharing their faith and getting equipped and things like that that those on-campus organizations do, then typically they're going to feel more isolated and if then it's, well, who are my friends? And if those friends aren't influencing you in a positive direction, it's going to feel a lot harder for you to kind of maintain that vibrant faith. So I'm a big fan of organizations that are distinctively Christian, that are holding to sound uh, doctrine and theology and historic Christian faith, like Crew and like University and things like that, to help those students plug in relationally once they hit campus. It's pivotal for them to do that. My, my guest is Jonathan Morrow. We're talking about his book, Welcome to College. <clears throat> so how can a youngster who ends up at college kind of as a very young, immature Christian, <clears throat> how can they grow on the campus, Jonathan? I mean, what can they do? They're taking classes and this, that, and the other. So how are they going to mature? How are they going to grow? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, part of it, if they're, if they're young in their faith, they're going to experience a lot of new things. And many times it's how do you respond. So that community element's huge. Is there anyone there that can help them process and coach them and engage with them, run with them? That's the first thing. But second, and this is why I lay out a lot of these different bite-sized chapters in my book, Welcome to College, is they just need to know um, and understand certain things about their faith and about relationships and about God's design for dating or sexuality or economics, or culture, or whatever that might be, so that they can kind of grow, have an understanding, begin to know what to look for, and begin to find next steps. Because what I've found in my experience is that the way we educate typically in the, in the public school and high school years is a lot of facts, acquisition of facts, mm -hmm. data. But there's no integration of where does this all fit together? And so a student then has, is left to put that um, on their own. And so one of the things I wanted to do in Welcome to College was help give them a roadmap uh, for success to begin integrating some of those things in the context of relationships, mentors, and peers to start growing in their faith, practicing their faith, and then owning their faith. Uh, you do a chapter, Jonathan, <clears throat> excuse me, gentlemen, 
become who you were born to be. Uh, what's that about? Yeah, and so that, that's the chapter on, on biblical manhood. And if you look around our culture today, um, you're not seeing the championing um, of young men. And there's a lot of good things about um, the championing of young women that's going on. And, hey, you can, you can go into these roles and have awesome jobs and professions and all those kinds of things. There's a lot of positive uh, that's going on there. But one of the things that's interesting is that same calling them up to something has not happened for the young men. In fact, many colleges, there are far more uh, girl applicants than there are guy applicants, and even some of them are having to change um, their application standards and different things to make sure they have enough guys in their college population. But more of what I'm doing in that chapter is saying, look, guys, God has called you to more than kind of this passivity that we see on sitcoms or on the Internet or things like that about who guys and dads and fathers eventually will one day be, God's called you to lead. And lead means serving well and loving well, having integrity, pursuing purity, um, walking wisely with God and taking initiative. That's, that's one of the key things as you look at the Scriptures that it means to be a man is you have to reject passivity. Um, you, have to, you have to say, you know what, I'm actually going to make a difference. I'm going to step up. And in our, in our age of kind of a video game culture, you know, that, that kind of encourages young men to distract themselves and disengage, we need to have uh, a, a culture and a challenge for them to step up and have their adventures in real life, because we have a hurting world that needs Jesus, and there's a lot of brokenness that they can step into, and God's called them to more. So that's what I'm trying to get at in that chapter of, of young men becoming who they were born to be. And how about ladies pursue real beauty, you write? Yeah, absolutely, because one of the things we see in our culture, we lived in an airbrushed culture. Everything is image-driven, and we live in the age of Instagram and everything else. All these moments are choreographed, and, and it's so easy for, for especially young ladies to fall into the trap, of the approval trap, that their value comes from how people see them or view them, rather than being daughters um, of God created in His image, for whom Jesus died, who's been gifted in certain ways, if they're a Christ follower, to serve and love the world. And part of that core role um, in understanding of who a woman of God is called to be is that is that nurturing aspect and that purity aspect, but that beauty, um, as the Scriptures define it, is not the way our culture defines it. And so it's, it's confusing um, for, for young ladies to grow up in a world that says you must dress this way, be this way, present yourself this way, that objectifies you at the same time and tries to empower you in other ways, and it's just a confusing message. So in many ways, both the manhood chapter and the womanhood chapter are countercultural in this sense. If there really is a God who created us and created men and created women, then God has a good design for that, and we flourish when we cooperate with it and not try to break ourselves against it, you know, because that's the way the world is. And so it's recovering kind of a, a biblical mindset and approach to what does it mean to be a man of God and a woman of God in a culture that is definitely not going to be championing that. Now, it's, it's, it's important to say this, because there's so much confusion about this, but both men and women are made in the image of God. They're equally valuable. But equal doesn't mean the same. There's distinct. There, there's distinct um, genders for a reason that complement and image God to the world, and that's something we need to recover for our for the next generation. Uh, uh, Jonathan, <clears throat> talk to me about the dating game. Yeah, that's that's a fun fun thing, isn't it? So w one of the things that we're unfortunately seeing, especially on our college campuses, is a hookup culture. And one of the things I try to do in my book, Welcome to College, is help students get a vision for what does it look like to really date wisely. And to do that, you have to have a picture in your own mind of the kind of person that you're not going to settle less for. And I always kid with the students, I teach, hey, okay, you're attracted to them. Great. Okay, check. Now what? <laughs> what, what kind of person are you not going to settle less for? If you don't have a standard at, at that level, then you're going to settle for anything. And so that's the first one. And the second one is, is are you becoming the kind of person that you're looking for? Because that person is looking for someone or a certain kind of person. And if you're not becoming more loving, for example, or more patient or more kind or more generous or something like that, then the person who's looking for you isn't going to find you. So in some ways, 
It's who are you becoming? And then you have to realize, what am I not going to sacrifice in my standards and, 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 and boundaries in order to have a relationship? You know, My guest is Jonathan Morrow. We'll continue with Jonathan uh, right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word in Orlando, folks. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word. Hear it here. Keep the faith Saturday night at midnight. If only forgetting your past was as simple as tearing up a list. Well, maybe it could be. Matthew West shares next on Keep the Faith. Bible study and today's contemporary Christian music come together so you can grow a stronger heart for God. We've got it for you here every Saturday night at midnight. Keep the faith. 94.9 FM, AM 950, The Word. I want you as you are, not as you are to... Attention. If you or a loved one has been surgically implanted with a hernia mesh implant, you may be at risk. Many mesh products used in hernia surgeries are defective and have been linked to severe complications, including chronic pain, infections, bowel obstruction, internal injury, or the need for corrective surgery. Even the FDA has issued warnings on mesh products. If you or a loved one has a hernia mesh implant and have experienced any of these symptoms, you may be entitled to significant compensation. The team at United Law will provide a free, no-obligation evaluation with over a billion dollars recovered for victims of defective drugs and devices united law can help the deadline to file your claim is approaching fast and you need to act so if you or a loved one has a hernia mesh implant that has caused chronic pain infection bowel obstruction internal injury or the need for corrective surgery call united law today and get the compensation you deserve call 800-755-5002 800-755-5002 that's 800-755-5002 Join Richard Jordan, President of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org, 530 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Jonathan Morrow is the author of Welcome to College, a Christ Follower's Guide for the Journey. Uh, Jonathan, finish that uh, remark you were talking about before the break, please. Uh, Yes. So I was talking about what are those boundaries as a student, right? Because we're talking about dating and how important that is. Because if, if 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 those who walk with the wise become wise, that's never more true than in your dating relationships. And Second Timothy two says, "Flee the evil desires of youth, and then pursue faith, love, life, and peace alongside those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart." So that's especially true in a dating relationships. So as a young person, it's hard to be lonely. It's hard to wait. Um, for that kind of relationship, that person who honors Jesus, but it's worse to get in a bad relationship where you're going to have a lot of shrapnel and regret and shame and all those kinds of things, and especially building a relationship on crossing physical boundaries or getting sexually active or pushing the line there, because what's happening when you do that outside of God's design for marriage is you're you're building um, that relationship on a foundation that's not going to stand, because it's kind of like lighter fluid. When you put that on a wet piece of wood and light a match, it looks like you've got this big roaring fire. But guess what? It goes out really quick. Well, that's what that's what um, sexual immorality does in a, in a relationship or a hookup culture does, is it looks like you have more than you really do. And then students get their hearts broken, and there's a lot of woundedness there. So you have to know the kind of boundaries that you're not going to cross morally if if in order to have that relationship with somebody else. So know who you're looking for, become that kind of person um, who who would be loving and kind and gentle and all those kind of things, and then also know the boundaries that you are not going to cross in your dating relationships. Uh, what about this chapter, watching movies, movies with eyes wide open? Yeah, so one of the things, and we live in an inter- entertainment culture, right? And so one of the things that we um, often forget and don't look at is the fact that God does care about our entertainment choices because God cares about us. And because media shapes our emotions and thoughts. 
And the problem is, if you're not actively renewing your mind, then you're already being shaped into the world's mold. And there's a very good chance that your worldview has already been shaped without you even realizing it on some of the biggest questions of life. And the way that happens in entertainment, especially, a producer designs movies for you to feel something. But then they attach that feeling of either cheering for or being repulsed by something to an idea or a character or a plot line. And over time, what happens is you find yourself more sympathetic with a view because you emotionally you've been drawn in by a character, but you wouldn't rationally uh, like be a fan of that view. And so what happens over time, if we're not careful, um, what we watch can shape us into ways that are contrary to a flourishing life with God and things like that. And so it's not that we don't watch. Now we live in a fallen world. Everything is broken that we encounter, including the media. But those people who are making those movies and films and music and everything else are also made in the image of God. So there's going to be good in there, and there's going to be bad in there. And we've got to be discerning, because Romans 12 tells us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we can't just uncritically watch everything and expect that we're not going to be affected by that. And some people will say, well, that kind of thing just doesn't affect me if it's something super violent or sexualized or something like that then it's worth asking the question, have you become numb to something that you shouldn't, that should bother you? And that's definitely something. And so I included a chapter on our media choices and welcome to college to help students in a visual video driven world kind of make wise choices about how to process the media that they consume every day. Uh, Jonathan Morrow is our guest. The name of the book is welcome to college. Uh, you do a chapter, Jonathan, a Christian view of alcohol. Uh, what do you write here? Yeah, you know, one of the things, when you get to campus, um, definitely secular campuses and Christian campuses, too, there's going to be alcohol, there's going to be drinking. And depending upon your background, um, I write this from kind of a very personal perspective, and I share my story. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Um, I was involved in a fraternity in college, and I didn't drink myself during that time, but I saw it abused a lot. And so I write kind of with those experiences in mind, but then I also say, okay, what does the Bible say about this? And so it has a couple of um, truths that, you know, we just need to fall into. It's like, look, if you're not of age, then it's illegal for you to drink alcohol. End of story. So that's kind of the baseline. Um, the second one is that it, the Bible's crystal clear that you're not to get drunk because we're supposed to be filled by and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's God's desire for us. And then third, you know, even though we might have liberty, if we are of age, we are over 21, uh, to drink, we also need to take in, in mind our brothers and sisters to not cause them to stumble, to use that freedom to cause them to stumble. And so there's a lot of conversations that need to be had in there, and one of the things I've tried to do is lay out some principles and try to expose some myths in that chapter on alcohol so students can, can kind of have some wisdom about how to approach that. And like it like with dating, the key is deciding ahead of time what you are or are not going to do if you're presented in a given situation. So if you're in a situation where the people are, you're underage and they're giving you drinks at a party, guess what? It's going to be really hard in that moment to say no if you've not decided beforehand, hey, that's not what I'm going to do or that's not what I'm about. And so that's what I try to do in that chapter of Welcome to College on alcohol is give students kind of a vision for how to walk wisely through the biblical principles and what God's revealed on that. Jonathan, uh, in your book... Uh, you do back-to-back -back chapters, how to read the Bible, and how can I trust the Bible. Uh, what are you telling young people here? Yeah, so a couple of things. The Bible is God's Word to us. So if God really does exist, and Christianity really is true, and I think there's really good reasons to believe both of those things, then God has spoken, and that means there are answers to every big question in life. But guess what? Um, the text of the Bible won't interpret itself. It's kind of like this. You, if you get a text message, it has a sender and it has a recipient. And the sender is the one who sets the meaning. And so we have to learn how to read the text of the Bible in a way that doesn't read it like a Hallmark card or make it say whatever we want to. I mean, the Bible is at least as sophisticated as the text, message, text messages we get each day. And so we need to observe what's going on there. It's, it's not what does the Bible mean to me, it's what does the Bible mean, and then how does it apply to me? Um, and so that's the first plank. I try to give students kind of a lay of the land of how do you understand what God has said in the Bible and how to understand it well. And then I also say, look, 
we have good reasons to believe that God has spoken in his book. It's historically reliable. When it mentions people and places, for example, in the book of Acts, guess what? We find those people and places. When Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, starts his biography of Jesus, which we call the Gospel of Luke, at the very beginning, he says, look, I investigated all this, all this very carefully. I interviewed eyewitnesses, and I've written this so that you might know um, the truth about these matters. And so you can have confidence that, that when the Bible talks about places, archaeologically, we find those places. When it talks about um, when it talks about these people and events, it has the ring of truth to it. It doesn't have a lot of embellishment or things like that. And so I kind of go through uh, the manuscript tradition. There's no other book like the New Testament that's even close to the copying accuracy that we have. We've got over 5,700 Greek manuscripts. Um, we've got fragments and pieces of, of manuscripts that go back even as close as to the late first, um, late early second century, the early 100s. AD from the Gospel of John. So the bottom line is, is that if you investigate it and have an open mind about exploring it, there are really strong reasons why you can trust the Bible. And then it's a question of how do I understand this message that God has spoken in the Bible? And that's what I try to do uh, for students. Uh, we've got about a minute, a little over a minute here, Jonathan. Uh, what's your uh, bottom line to students? And what do you, how do you summarize your whole book in a minute? Yeah, so you have the opportunity as a student to really get this right the first time, to own your faith. God is calling you to so much more than just surviving. God is calling you to flourish and follow Him and have influence for Jesus that only you can have during this season. So don't waste it. Don't have a college experience filled with regrets. Own your faith. Get the confidence that comes from knowing why you believe what you believe, because Christianity really is true. And if it is true, then it applies to every area of life. And this college season can really set you up for success in living well for much longer than the college years. And that's what I wanted to help people do in my book, Welcome to College. Well, Jonathan, I'm glad we could uh, hook up here. It's nice to chat with you, and congratulations on your book. And uh, I, I know you're impacting a lot of young people. Well, thank you, Pat. And if people want to find more, they can find more at welcometocollege.tv. Say that again. Welcometocollege.tv is the website for the book. Okay, folks, we got to wrap up right after this. Just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes, and attorney, Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, folks, thanks for joining us once again for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first half hour, Pastor Jim Henry here in Orlando uh, was with us talking about his new book, Son of a Gun, G-U-N-N. And then Jonathan Morrow plugged in from Georgia uh, talking about his book, Welcome to College. Please visit my website. It's uh, patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my latest book is out. It's called The Success Intersection. Uh, When your greatest talent intersects with your strongest passion, well, you found your sweet spot in life. And that's where you want to live. That's where you want to make your living. That's where you want to get paid every two weeks, right there in that sweet spot. The book is in bookstores now up on Amazon.com as well. Well, we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour uh, here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Have a great week ahead. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.